Hello, fellow theater people. Thank you so much for finding the Theater People podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Hines. And I'm your producer, Vanya Arslanian. Welcome to episode one. We are so excited. Welcome. Let's do it. Our first guest ever, Katie Huffman, made her Broadway debut as a replacement in the original production of La Caja Faux. After that, Katie was discovered and then rediscovered by one Broadway legend after another, turning her into a legend in her own right. Bob Fosse, her idol, cast her in what would be his last original show, the musical Big Deal. Next, it was Tommy Toon and Cy Coleman who cast her in The Will Rogers Follies, which earned her her first Tony nomination. After that came the biggest break of her career when Mel Brooks cast her in the role of Ula in his new musical, The Producers. The show was an immediate smash hit, winning a record-breaking 12 Tony Awards, including one for Katie for Best Featured Actress in a Musical. Departing the show after two and a half years, she branched out into television and film, and even became a recurring guest judge for 10 seasons of Iron Chef America. She returned to Broadway last season in The Nance. Up next is her one-woman show, And She Can Cook Too, which premieres tomorrow night, Tuesday, January 14th, at 54 Below. Katie Huffman, I... It's almost unspeakable how excited we are to have you. Oh, stop it, Patrick. First guest on the Theater People podcast. Thank you for being here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, welcome. Thank you, Patrick. I'm so happy to be here. We should say it's uh, four degrees in New York today. It sure is. We are setting record lows today. (laughs) That's what we're we're aiming for, a record low here, too. (laughs) Exactly. You think that's a record low. Wait till you hear this. (laughs) It's going to be an hour of low. (laughs) Um, all right, well, let's go. Let's let's get into it, I let's guess. Do it. Let's do it. All right. What do you want to know? Well, I was telling you before we started that I've, like, researched you intensely. <laughs> um, and so I, there are <laughs> so many things that, yeah, no, back, yeah. we're talking background oh, track. Oh, yeah. I know your blood type. Mm. Cholesterol's a little high, girl. No, I'm my just cholesterol kidding. is actually perfect. <laughs> um, you look stunning today. Oh, aren't you adorable? Thank, Thank you. you. I kind of am. Um, I, you are adorable, and so you. is your husband. Thank by you. the way, I know. I always talk about it, what and he is always he? gets. He's so like mad. a teacher or something. Right? No, what he looks he? like it though. He does. He looks like studious. While we're talking about him, do you know what we realized? Look so, at him. Is he Italian? Uh, no. What, well, babe? What are you? He's. Oh my god, he's, he's just yummy. He's Ger- of German descent. He's an American. Okay. I know. He's so yummy. He he's wears high so for yummy. you. It's those big brown eyes. I know. <laughs> so I know. Oh I know. He was so excited to meet you. And that very masculine nose. I know. And the full head of hair. I know. We'll see how oh my long God, that the lasts. two of you. Okay, shh, enough about him. Okay, well, actually, one How more about thing. me? Yeah. <laughs> we told you when I first met you at our mutual friend Daisy Egan's yes. party. What yes. do you think of Daisy Egan? Oh, she's a whore. Yeah. <laughs> that girl. I, I, I love following her Twitter so much. Oh, my God. Because, you know, there are those people who are so annoying who they tweet every little thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, really? Please. But everything she tweets mm-hmm. is hilarious and dangerous. I know. Like, she has she such just, an honesty to what yes. she writes on her social media that is like unprecedented. Yeah, she just says it. Okay, <laughs> so the thing, one of the things I found so amazingly fascinating about you. Oh my God, amazingly fascinating. Yes. Well, I love your focus on your training and like your your mm-hmm. amazing amount of training and how <sighs> you started training when you were like six. I did. I started training at six. I did my first um, uh, acting workshop when I was six. Which, uh, you know, and I was one of those little kids. I don't know why, you know, this has just always been what I wanted to do. Uh, and my mother actually had to sort of hold me back. I was constantly, put me in ballet class. Let me do this. Let me do that. I was really, 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 really actively 
seeking out uh, training. So yeah, I, I started acting workshop when I was six. My mother finally put me into ballet class for my as my seventh birthday present. And then at nine, I started studying opera. At nine? At nine, yeah. How, I mean, how do they teach opera to a nine-year-old? Well, it, it's more, I would call it more classical training than opera. You start, um, you know, she started teaching me the uh, physiology of the voice. And uh, I was always a physically developed child. You know, I had, so they, a lot of nine-year-olds are not ready to really train vocally, but I was. Like, my muscles were already, I was already belting, I was already... Uh, singing uh, pretty well. So, uh, you know, the teacher just wanted to wrangle all that and make sure I wasn't, didn't uh, continue on a path that might hurt me. She took me, because I could already belt, so she wanted to put me on the soprano path so that I would have both things to pull from Mm -hmm. and a technique to fall back on rather than just, you know, I could sing perfectly well naturally. So she just enhanced that with some technique. And then you study that pretty much straight through. Yeah, straight through till I left home and then I studied with other great teachers who sort of took me from that um, opera mindset because it really was very classically focused as a kid to more of a a spoken, uh, more relaxed kind of broad, I guess Broadway or even uh, pop. You know, you can't really always sing like this if you're going to sing on Broadway, you know. (laughs) Um, But anyway, yeah. And then did you have like a, you went to like a regular high school? I went to a regular public high school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And was your your path, I mean, I know you eventually studied with the Royal Shakespeare Academy. Was that right after? Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. Sorry. Yeah. Royal, I told you she was going to correct me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I need things to be correct. I love that about you. That was why I was kind of nervous. I was like, <laughs> I have to get everything exactly right. Yes. Um, and when That's did, one. Yeah. <laughs> When did that happen? Royal Academy? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I was 24, and I sent myself there for a Shakespeare intensive. So this was after you had already been on Broadway? No, Yeah, I'd been on Broadway, yes. I had done oh, I know. Lacage. At and, 19? You turned at, 21 doing Big Deal? Uh, yes, I was actually 18 when I got into Lacage. Um, teenage drag queen, I yes, think you called Yes, I, I was a teenage drag queen. Um, yeah, so I had been on Broadway, and I was, um, you know, I'd always done acting, singing, and dancing, but definitely people were seeing me more as a dancer at that point. So I wanted to do something to place me into the acting category. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I went to the Shakespeare Intensive, and it was in, intense. And it was fantastic. It really um, gave me such an interesting perspective on how the Brits work as opposed to how Americans work, which can be very... Uh, Americans go from the inside out, and oftentimes the Brits can work outside in, which is very empowering. That it's how, what's the what, what does that mean? Um, it's they're very physical. They teach you um, combat, and uh, so that you can embody the the uh, the character rather than only finding the emotional center of the mm-hmm. character. Sometimes when you discover something physically, it inspires an emotional response. Mm-hmm. So they are, uh, I'm not, this is a gross, you know, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? I don't know what I'm trying <laughs> to say. But anyway, it's, uh, it's not the only way they do it, but it is a much more active, physical, active way of finding a character. Um, 
but I'm not saying every American does it this way or every Brit does it that way. It's just different. You know, mm-hmm. in the United mm-hmm. States, you do a lot of emotional work. And you'll lay on the ground a lot. And, you know, <laughs> you know, go back to that time where you're, you know, drooling into your mother's shoulder. You know, whatever it is. Um, but, you know, the Brits uh, tend to go, no, let's get up on our feet and do this. Yeah, doesn't Anthony Hopkins say that he just, like, the, the, um, the way to act is to learn the lines? Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of true. Especially when you start doing television. Mm-hmm. It's like, just know your lines. Yeah. Oh, we're getting to Good Wife. Oh, a good wife. But you, what we really want to get to, I'm going to tell Curve you right now. No, no. Well, that too. And there's so much that I mean, really. Uh, no, but it's the soap opera I did. Oh yes, yes, yeah. Yes, one of life course. to live. You did it for a year. Because come on, no, I, I only did it for a few months. But, oh really? But that's where you learn how to just learn your lines and say it. I, I I went up to a fellow Tony Award winner who had been on the show for a long time, uh, Patricia. She's going to kill me because I can't remember her last name. Um, but she had won a Tony for. Um, a Broadway show. <laughs> a little night music, I think. Um, and I said, how do you do this? How do you how do you get out there? And she's like, Katie, you open your mouth and trust that you're talented. Just be gorgeous. Like, you just have to learn the lines and do it. And, and it's surpri- you know, it is surprising what you find, what your wealth of uh, knowledge already exists. And on television and places like that, Pretty much, they want you to show up and be that mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. And as a producer, I see the the uh, you know you don't want to have to get somebody to do something. You want someone to walk in the room and do it. Right. So yeah, yeah oftentimes it is learn your lines and say them. I wanted to talk about how your path. So where you grew up in where Santa Barbara, California. And then when did you come to New York? Mm. Uh, well, the first time. I came to New York. I was uh, on a ballet scholarship when I was 16. And then I came to rehearse the tour of Lacage when I was 19. And then they asked me to come do the Broadway show when I was 20. Did you do the tour first? Yes. We did San Francisco and Los Angeles. So technically we were the Los Angeles company. Mm-hmm. We were originally the national tour. And then we became the Los Angeles company. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. That's what I did first. Did you get that job out of New York or did you audition for that somewhere else? In Los Angeles mm-hmm. at an open call at the Debbie Reynolds Studios. Wow. Yeah. I mean, an open call. Open calls. Unbelievable. Awesome. Yeah. At that age, I could not have been happier at those open calls. I was just sort of invincible. <laughs> Literally. I mean, oh, you God, got the I, job. I remember what I wore to that audition. Okay, so it's 1980-whatever. So I wore red trunks you know (laughs) flesh-colored hose and character shoes red trunks and my elementary school's t-shirt cut off so bare midriff like that 80s we were the harding hawks and it was like a mustard yellow with red letters on it. I almost wore that exact outfit today. (laughs) It It was just a little too chilly, right? Just a little too cold. Yeah. Um, So you do Lacage. It's your first Broadway show. How was it? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I gotta tell you, there's no show that's more fun backstage mm-hmm. than La Cajo Fall. My first experience was with the Los Angeles company. And uh, it was just joyful mm-hmm. and joyous. And um, just so much to be said about, really specifically, our swings. Mm-hmm. Who are in such a 
tough situation. Don't, Having yeah, to absolutely. learn not just the singing parts, but all the kajels. I mean, they, I think we had three or four swings that did everybody. Um, and they, there was one in particular, Reese Holland, who uh, it, it, sort of his job became just to keep us all in stitches. You know, he would be, <laughs> he'd be so bored because he had to be there all the time and not on. And sometimes, you know, it was just crazy. So he was always dressing up and in all the bits of mm-hmm. costumes that just happened to be backstage at a drag show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it just became this, it, everybody was so young and so, you know, it was new and this is our first jobs for most of us. It was extraordinary. It was extraordinarily joyful backstage. I love that. Yeah. And because all the boys are dressed up as girls, uh-huh. you know, there's all the makeup and all the, you know, and then the, the advice giving back and forth to this day, I still go with a bit of advice I got from one of the drag queens on Broadway um, <laughs> to at, when you wash your face, you never dry it. You put your moisturizer over your wet face because what is moisture but water? She's looking straight at Vanya. Because <laughs> she'll understand amazing. why. Yes. Because you also do, you don't want to tug at anything. You don't want to dry your face too hard because that's, you're putting, you're dragging things around your face when you, when you, when you, isn't that silly? I have two yeah. things I have like, to say don't here. T- like only, only foam cleansers. I don't do any wiping of any of my makeup. Only foam cleansers. Wash them off rinse them off and then I don't dry I just put my moisturizer over my wet face you sent me the most charming email when we were you were saying is this going to be audio I did. Or, you did you're such a you're such a charm <laughs> and you said is it going to be just audio or, or is it going to be video too do I need to beat my face <laughs> yeah <laughs> which exactly. I just think I love that yeah but the other thing I wanted to talk about and we'll get much more into this when we talk about the Nance but it must have been a really interesting time to be doing Lacage at that time, I mean, was it a, an atmosphere okay. where people were thrilled to be Extraordinary. Doing it? Yeah. When we were in San Francisco, we opened in... What year was it? Uh, it must have been 84? 84. 84. Um, like April. No, it must have been summer. Because when is Gay Pride? June? June. The last Sunday in June? So we were... the Stonewall Riots. Yeah, because we were in... The what do you call that? Not the meatpacking district. They call it the, the meat. Yeah, in San Francisco, the Castro Castro district mm-hmm. at the Golden Theater, mm-hmm. Golden Gate Theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we opened during Gay Pride Week, oh. and we had so all the it's like our, our opening uh, party was all these drag queens and dykes on bikes and stuff that I had. Oh. I mean, I was nineteen years old. I was like, what? is going on <laughs> what is going on i mean i had i had gay friends but this was like such a little notch above anything oh, i had ever experienced i mean it was kind of fantastic i can't even imagine that it must have just felt so freeing to be a part of that yeah i guess i mean i'm For really, them, you know I mean, exactly yeah. i mean what do you, it was you know and it was the beginning of all our friends starting to get sick with <sighs> aids yeah. so it was a real mixed bag. And as I said, I mean, I'm 19 years old. I don't have, and I'm not gay, so I don't have this, I'm just, I was the witness. Well, and that's so interesting to me because, not to take too much of a left turn here, but you were, uh, you know, starring on Broadway during, you were coming up when this was happening, like Uh, ravaging the community. When my friends were dying. What was that? You know, like? and now I mean, I know you youngsters are living. Are living. Mm-hmm. You know, your friends are living with it, which is great. But you have to understand what a serious 
I think it's it's we're we're in the danger of not understanding what a serious disease Absolutely. it is, because I I lost between fifty and a hundred people in my life, it, oh. just in my twenties. It was you know people I'd worked for with or for, and then close friends. I mean the first time I lost a friend I was nineteen years old, and wow. I went to the you know going to the to the hospital and witnessing that. Uh, uh, yeah. And then also witnessing a friend that we went to the hospital to say our farewells to and him, him coming back and he's still with us. Oh my So, I mean, goodness. you know, just seeing someone who looks already dead and somehow through his own will and whatever was happening just, uh, medically you know, at the that right point, time. Yeah. Uh, and he's still with us, which is a, a miracle. A miracle. But um, no, I lost so many people, particularly from Lacage. Um, it, it's just shocking. It's and it's it saddens me every time I think about these friends that are no longer with me. And I just I, that's why I, I do as many uh, benefits and stuff as I can, just to be able to talk to younger people so they understand the gravity of this. Because mm-hmm. when you're that young, you don't. Mm-hmm. You know, you are invincible. It's a lovely time. Who the hell wants that burden? And unfortunately, I had that in my young life. But um, yeah, I don't know what to say about that. Wow. But I just want everyone to be well and let's find a freaking cure for this That's, thing. Uh, absolutely. You know? Well, the next thing that happened for you in your career was you got to audition for and then work with your idol. Oh, God. Pop Fosse. Please yes. tell us everything. Oh, my God. Please. Please. Well, it was another open call at some Broadway theater. So it was just like that opening in the all that jazz where everybody's on stage learning and we learned all of those routines too the T for two and all, all this everything you see on there I did and Bob Fosse um, did exactly what you see in in the movie where he walks up to the actors walks up to each individual person and says thank you so much would you please stay or thank you it's not going to happen this time but I really appreciate you coming every single dancer Every time he needed to make a cut, talk to every single person, and I kept on making the cuts. What does that feel like? Well, it, it, at first you just like boo do 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 bad I'm just at an audition, woo. And, I mean, I was in Lacage at the time, so I wasn't concerned about getting a job. I just I some and a lot of people were saying, oh, don't even bother going. It's a it's going to be an all black show, so don't go. And I was like. I don't care if it's an all purple show. Mm-hmm. I'm going to dance for Bob Fosse. Mm-hmm. So I went in thinking there was sort of no chance of me getting it anyway. And then I just kept on making. And then the pressure starts building. You're like, oh, shit. Oh, like, oh, oh, I'm still here. I am still here. I'm still here. And I'm still here. So I think it was over three days that we did this audition. Ugh. And, of course, I was there with a lot of friends. And they got down to about... 19 girls, I think, and he, he wanted to hire six in a swing. Out of how many? Oh, hundreds. hundreds. Maybe thousands. You know, there were a lot of us there. And we do all the um, all the routines that he teaches, and then he had us do uh, an improvised section. So we would sort of have to say to the, the piano player, can you play something like this? And I did. I was a ballerina back then, so I did this crazy leaping turning you know ballet thing and then we had to sing and they wanted to hear a a pop song so i sang what a feeling 
<laughs> Beans believing. Yeah. That's so amazing. Yeah, I'm dancing for my life. How did you find out you got the job? Did he tell you on the spot? Uh, no. Um, they had to do kind of a little convoluted thing because I was in Lacage, mm-hmm. so they had to go to those producers first to make sure I could do and all that stuff. So I found out um, later. I don't and remember. Wh- how did your did you develop a friendship with Bob Fosse? Did you develop a sort of a... A relationship? Yeah. He did not ask me to sleep with him. Now, <laughs> I, I find think that very hard to believe. I'm the only dancer that he never asked. I'm, I, like, what is wrong with me? Wow. Maybe I, he thought you were a drag queen. Maybe. <laughs> I kind of always am. And I would say he developed a relationship with all of us. Mm-hmm. He was so respectful of everyone. Um, and he could be, uh, you know, he could be exactly what you thought he was. You know, he, he was uh, extraordinarily intense, very earthy, and sort of had eyes all around his head. I mean, you could just be dicking around on the corner and he would go, no, no, no. And you, you're like, you, your back was to me. How can you have seen that? <laughs> but um, no, he was intense. And uh, I think as long as you worked hard, he was fine with you. But it was it was volatile, you know. It was you had to be on your game all the time. It was fantastic. I mean, I come from a ballet background where if they're nice to you, you get worried. You know, mm-hmm. you want them yelling at mm-hmm. you. Uh, so I fit in just fine. What happened with that show? Well, you know, you'll hear a lot of different things. I, I heard from some of Bob's best friends. You know that that show killed him mm-hmm. uh, cause he because he was he did so broken hearted. Yeah over it yeah he died just a few months later mm-hmm. um which was ex- i was sitting on the subway and somebody was holding up their newspaper and there it was that he had died that's how i found out oh. and i just started shaking and he looks at me he says do you want this and i said yes and i was like just sitting there on the subway so, oh shaking not the one of those moments where you don't know where you are you just sort of everything gets you get blinded to your surroundings it was so i still miss him terribly um then he had this party for us when it did close at his house in quag breakfast lunch and dinner (laughs) it's a long party fantastic Oh, yeah. You know, no one's going to say he didn't know how to throw a party. I think in his will, he left a certain amount of money so that his friends could throw a party. You know? Oh, like for real? For real. Yeah. Like wow. his closest friends, he left enough money for them to have a bash. Uh, but he did have a party for us, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And um, uh, swimming and whatever. You know, it was just, wow. there we were at Bob's house having a party. Uh, and at the end of it, <clears throat> during dinner... He, we each stood up to say our thoughts about the show and all that stuff. And I I remember what I said. I said something like, um, uh, ever since I was 14 years old and saw all that jazz, I've been dying to rip off my top and dance for Bob Fosse, you know. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, I got emotional and can, couldn't finish. And But then uh, Gwen Verdon gets up, and I am going to cuss now, so... Oh. You know, be, beware, people out there. Turn your radios up. Gwen Verdon. I wish I, I wish I had a good Gwen. I, sometimes I can get Gwen, but she said, "I hear everybody's saying fuck Frank Rich." As far as I'm concerned, I hope Rich, Frank Rich never gets fucked again. 
<laughs> so some people uh, blame Frank Rich. Some people blame the Schuberts because he wasn't giving them a, a second big number. But really, the the uh, dancing in that was spectacular. And the one the one big number. Okay, I'm just well, I could talk about big deal. For a whole hour. But closing night, we did this number called Beat Me Daddy Ate to the Bar, which was almost at the end of the first act. It, that was the big number at the end. And then there was a little scene and we went to intermission and we danced it. It was spectacular. You can see it on, there's a Tony um, <laughs> version of it, which isn't the best because they never shoot the whole thing. <laughs> but you can pretty much see it. And we finished. Bum, 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 bum. And then the audience, wow. And we're kind of putting ourselves together, just thinking we're going on, and the audience will not stop. They will not stop cheering. They may have been on their feet. I'm not sure. They're, they won't stop, stop cheering, and so we're just sort of waiting and waiting, and then someone starts saying, one more time. <sighs> then we had the whole audience chanting, one more time. Whoa. One more time. So we looked down at Gordon Harrell, and we did it again. No. We did it. Again, and it's that kind of story that I think I must be lying. That can't really have happened. Wow. And I recently bumped into someone and said, "No, I was there." <laughs> She's like, "Yeah, that actually happened. I was there." That is only yeah. in the theater. Only folks. in the theater. I'm, and you know, at 21 years old, of course, I could have danced it eight times, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh, and been uh-huh. fine. It was just that is thrilling. amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. Ah. Uh. So the next... Yeah, try to top that, Patrick. I know. <laughs> One time when I was in high school yeah. in drama club. I have um... a really cute boyfriend. Yeah. Oh, husband. I do. That's what I always wake up to. I'm like, oh, no, I have to... Oh, wait. Yeah. My husband's very handsome. And he may walk by with no shirt on. Sometimes like... it happens. And you're like, thank you. Yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. Okay, so the next thing that happens, the next big thing, according to my thoroughly researched outline... Yes. Um... Is Will Rogers Follies. Yeah. That was the first, that next Broadway thing. Yeah. Yeah. That was not an open call, but it, I think it was an open principal call mm-hmm. where the equity principal, you know, where mm-hmm. you sign up and, and go. I mean, you have an agent at this time, I'm assuming. Did I? I, I had a very ineffectual agent at that time. Mm-hmm. I really was very disappointed. Um, I'm not sure. How it happened? Hmm. No, I think I had a. Yeah, no, I. I don't know. Well, one of the funniest <laughs> things I ever like heard you talk about was when you. Uh... Mm. Oh goodness, this! I know what you're gonna it say. The side Coleman. Oh yeah, I think you, you about this. Is yeah. that was that what you're talking mm-hmm. about? Because because I went into the audition and I, I remember what I was wearing to that too. <laughs> I mean, it was this. I, it's a mini skirt that I still have because yes. it was a Betsy Johnson mini skirt that that's uh, you know stretchy, so I can still get myself into it these days. <laughs> and a wide belt and this and this cute little double buttoned shirt that I'd gotten in Italy with little shoulder pads. And so just leggy and stupid. And I, and I, and I wanted to audition. They were looking for a bombshell and a soubrette. So check I. Check and check. Yeah. I was like, well, I'm going to go in as the soubrette. Screw this bombshell bullshit. <laughs> you know, how dare they think I'm a bombshell. And so I said, I'm going to do the soubrette. So I sang Adele's laughing song. Ugh. Which I just think they looked at me like I was a crazy person. <laughs> but Tommy Toon was like, that's the one. Like, I, that's all he needed to see was me sing that song, stand there. That, that's it. 
So as far as he was concerned, I was someone he wanted to hire. Cy Coleman, who I had weirdly enough worked for before and belted, was not convinced that I could belt. So I had to go to his office, which is his apartment, which was um, Upper West Side, I guess. It, it, it is just like a hoarder's room full of music. So much music stacked there. It was pretty fantastic, you know, going into the lair, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's stack, stack, stack. There's this uh, piano just covered in music, and he sort of pushes things aside, and he puts out the handwritten version of Willamania onto the onto onto his piano and of course i've never seen it it's a brand spanking new oh song my goodness and he says okay katie i need you to to sing this like ethel merman i said okay that's fine willamania <laughs> this dance has swept the nation well he's like he goes what are you doing i said well you said to sing it like ethel merman he goes, i didn't mean sing it like ethel merman <laughs> I just want you to belt. I'm like, oh, okay. Why don't you say that? I can do that. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that is the funniest story is it? ever told. <laughs> it wasn't very funny at the time. Let me tell you. I'm like, oh, okay. I read you, you said that Cy Coleman taught you to sing in a way that you never knew you could. Through, oh, God. Well, what he show. did was, it seemed like every day he came in, he jacked up my Willamania half a step. Mm -hmm. It was like, just high, 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 high. And, uh, and there's a few times where I'm the, the tenor with the guys, mm -hmm. you know, in the, and uh, yeah, he got me belting and mixing so much higher than I ever knew I could. And then, well, okay, so let's get to it. And then... What and, are we getting to? And then we're getting to the producers. Okay, if we must. <laughs> well, okay, so I had read that um, you were cast in the workshop and that... Yes, sort of. Uh, there was no workshop. Oh. I was cast... It started um, in April, March, the end of March. Uh there's a great long, longer version of this story that I won't tell you here because uh, we don't have the time. But Vinny Liff, who uh, was a darling man, who, Johnson Liff was a big casting office back then, and they did all the big singer musicals, Les Mis, Phantom, and they literally never saw me for anything. Uh, and then he called me. He called me when I was living in San Diego and said, "Katie, I want you to fly yourself to." New York to audition to be a cover in Steel Pier. Oh. And I was like, fly myself to be a cover. After I'd been nominated for a Tony Award. Right. But I was like, well, I need to get back to New York. I, I was really missing New York. So I did fly myself in. And then I did cover Karen Ziemba and Deb Monk in Steel Pier. I remember seeing that in your in your list of things. And it was strange to see a Tony nominee doing a cover yeah, job. Yeah, covering. Uh, yeah, strange for me too. Um, but... Great. Got me back to New York and, you know, back into it. And so that's how Vinny, that was the first time he ever called me in for anything. And so then later in March of 2000, he calls me and says, Katie, would you consider reading the role of Ula in a new musical written by Mel Brooks based on the film, The Producers? And, you know, I was in my 30s, and I'm thinking, oh, shit, dancing around in my bikini. Because that's <laughs> in the movie. That's what she does. And I said, yes, thinking, I'll figure it out. I'll just figure it out. 
And he said, great, bring me all your stuff, all, any publicity you have from the Will Rogers Follies, et cetera, et cetera. So I brought, I, I was living in New Jersey, Jersey City, because that's all I could afford. I live and, there. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Nothing against Jersey City, but wow. Um, and I brought the stuff in, He, uh, you know, just photos, press, all that stuff. And the next day he said, great, Mel and Susan want you to do this reading. Great. So I was hired to do the very first public reading of it. And we had about four days of rehearsal and then two, um, two little presentations for money people. And at the first presentation, you know, Anne Bancroft is sitting like oh. three feet from my left knee. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those little crappy studios. Yep. And there's all these chairs in it. It's, you know, there's not enough room for anybody. And, um, and these guys in suits are laughing. They are laughing they are purple. They are laughing so hard. Yeah, and we're just doing this show. Oh my god! Um, and I, what I hear is that after that first reading, that's when Rocco Landisman came up to Mel Brooks, offered him the St. James right then. Whoa! And then after the second reading that day, uh, Mel came up to me and said, "Kid, when it goes, you're in." <laughs> <laughs> Anything, thanks, and you know anything can happen between whatever. Not knowing that something could happen so quickly, and we went into rehearsal um, November or December of that year. How, how many months later was it from the reading? April to wow. November, December, which is very unusual. I, well, and it, is it also kind of unusual um, for I don't know? Did you did you think that he was going to deliver on his promise? I am. Pollyanna, baby. I think everybody means what they say. Mm-hmm. And it never occurs to me that someone's not going to do what they say. And I've certainly had my heart broken several times because that's the way I think. Yeah. So, no, it never occurred to me that he would not put me in the show. And what is that? What is what is putting that show together? What does it look like? I mean, is it frenetic? Is it completely everyone just knew it was going to be a smash from the moment oh, God, you got together? No. Or? God, no. We'd all done shows before. Mm-hmm. We had no idea. And a smash to me was the Will Rogers Follies. That was a hit. Yeah, huge. So you cannot imagine what the producers is going to be. Can I, I mean, there's, I mean, I've in, been in a hit. Yes. And I, that's what I think a hit is. Yeah. You know, so yeah. no, nobody knows. Um, but it was so wonderfully cast. Yes. And. And the piece itself never changed. Literally never changed. Just shaved a few lines here and there. But usually when you're putting together a new musical, there are numbers that are put in, taken out. Whole characters can disappear. Mm-hmm. None of that happened. Uh, as I said, a couple of my lines got shaved. That was it. And then there was one section in the middle of springtime for Hitler. The whole, I was just a paper hanging no one more obscure. You know, that uh-huh. section they kept toying with. They didn't know they were had. I don't even. I don't even know which version ended up in the show. Truthfully, uh-huh. I think there's a totally different version on the album than ended up on Broadway. But so that was literally the only spot. So it was poor Gary Beach who had to really learn different speeches and different yeah. songs. He was really the only one having to to adjust a whole lot. Otherwise, this thing existed, man. This show existed, and it was already just right and everybody they cast understood the humor of it and it just we had to learn it we just had to learn it you know susan had to choreograph it and the the ensemble was fantastic uh yeah all we had to do was learn it and do it and refine it uh, it was it was one of the most joyful experiences i've ever had putting something together i mean it really really 
and starting from Nathan and Matthew, who were completely willing to fall down and get back up. So it sort of gave us all the permission to do whatever it was we needed to do to make it work. Mm, amazing. I mean, you know, I was going to say earlier, in in the last 50 years, I don't know, maybe there's been 10, 10 musicals, maybe not even 10 musicals that have had the, the sort of... I would say three. Yeah. What would they... I mean, producers, Book of Mormon... A chorus line. Chorus line. I mean, what... That have that kind of... So how is the experience of being in the producers different... Just as an, as an actor, what the expectations of you are, what your level of celebrity becomes. I mean, of course, you win the Tony, and we'll get to that in a second. But just leading up to all well, of that, well, it's wild because there is we're in we're in Chicago, which was a complete blast, um, and people were starting to scalp tickets there. And uh, then you start hearing about what's going on in New York, the lines around the block, and like, well. It's not something you can really wrap your brain around. Mm-hmm. So what happens is this big storm creates around the experience, and we're the eye of it. So there's not a whole lot of wind in there, and we're all just like kind of stared at each other. Like, how does this, how do we live up to this? Uh-huh. So that's where the pressure comes in, that you have to live up to the hype now. And every once in a while, someone gets sucked out into the wind and then got to bring them back. (laughs) But it is a very, it makes you very insular. You know, you have to, um, you You have to band together. Absolutely. You just become a a very tight family. Tighter than you've ever been before with a cast. And then the Tonys happen. So you get nominated for a Tony. Tell us, do you remember the phone call? Were you expecting it? Oh God, I, I'm never expecting anything. I, I don't, I don't, I doubt I even knew that Tony nominations were coming out the next day. You wow. Know? Um, but uh, yeah, great. Well, it, you know, and sometimes it's a relief to get a Tony nomination because you're like, oh shit, everybody else got a nomination and I didn't. You know, there's mm-hmm. definitely those moments. But literally, everyone who could be nominated from our show was uh-huh. every single person, um, which is great. And then we get to the Tonys. And I'd had a gown made for me by Pamela Dennis and you Harry Winston. Stunning. Wearing like $1.2 million worth of diamonds and had uh. my little armed guard with me. It was a man. Like, my personal experience was stupendous. Yes. And then we start winning and winning and winning. And then we keep winning and keep winning. And there's Mel Brooks being funny. And yeah, I'll be right back. <laughs> um, but, um, it got to the point, I believe it was, uh, you know, Gary just won. It was my category and the show. Oh, no, it was my category, Nathan, and then the show. And I just knew that Nathan was going to win, and I knew the show was going to win. And I was thinking, oh, oh, it's me. I'm the one who's not going to win. <laughs> we can't possibly win everything. <gasps> It's me. Oh, shit. <laughs> that, that occurs to you in the seat, in your $1.2 million worth yeah. of diamonds. I'm thinking, oh, it's me. I was uh, nominated with Kathleen Freeman, may she rest in peace, who was hilarious in The Full Monty, mm-hmm. and Kate Levering, who was in 42nd Street, Polly Bergen, and um, Mary Testa. But there was Kate and Kathleen, so we all had Oh, uh. And I cannot tell you how time slows down when you are waiting to hear something like that. And the Tony Award goes to, is Doris Roberts reading it? Yep. Goes to... (laughs) 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 
<laughs> oh my god. And I and I'm thinking, okay, if you do win, you have to remember to kiss your husband because I was married at the time. And it's like And the two thousand and one Tony is awarded to Katie Hoffman. <gasps> Stand up, don't kiss the husband. <laughs> oh, sit down, kiss the husband. <laughs> Stand up again. <laughs> It was amazing. And I, and I had like a train on my dress. So I had to gather that up and wearing, I was wearing Manola Blahniks that were like four inch Manola Blahniks. Everybody pause the episode and go to YouTube and look at how just gorgeous you looked. Thank you so much. Oh I really felt like a movie star that you night. You looked like a movie star. And I tell you, I had 45 minutes to get ready because we had done a matinee that day. Oh my goodness. And I literally you had guys so 45 hard. minutes to mm-hmm. get ready and get up to Radio City. Crazy. Unbelievable. Crazy. Um, how does it change your life? Um, yeah. Well, you know, now I'm Tony Award winner Katie Huffman. Um, it changes my life. You sort of, well, it's that, I don't know, you can't go backwards. You know, you don't want to go backwards. You mm-hmm. want to move forward. So it's like the pool gets much smaller. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you, you know, people are calling you to do things like Iron Chef America of because of this show and and curb your enthusiasm because of this show and those are still things that are you know huge in my life and mm-hmm. people still approach me about that and I'm sure the one life to live was because of that and um yeah it's um it, it was difficult it's still difficult for me cuz I don't really get it I'm I like being a working actor and I understand that I understand the hard work of doing something it's much harder for me to understand the celebrity part of it and that that's something that you build on. Um, and I'm not very good at it, unfortunately. I'm trying to get better at it now mm-hmm. because it is, it's a business and you can build on that. And it's, it's, it's very abstract to me. So I'm, I'm working on developing that. But, you know, you become a lot more is expected of you. People are looking at you more with more scrutiny and, uh, you know, I had to, I, I, long time ago, I stopped reading anything on the internet mm-hmm. because just one mean thing is like, oh, shoot. Yeah. And, you know, now I'm getting older. It's like, oh, now they can not only say I'm fat, now they can say I'm wrinkly. You know, it's like. She's neither fat nor wrinkly. Well, <laughs> but, you know, but people say it anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think I'm fat and wrinkly either, mm-hmm. but people feel like they can say anything. Well, okay. I know we don't have you for too, too much longer. I really want to get to the dance. Um, because oh, yeah. that show, I mean, I knew that it was great. I didn't expect to, I didn't expect to be so moved by it. Oh, good. I don't know why I didn't, because I know the content. And like I've said, I, I'm definitely a student of gay history and I, um, you know. It's surprising. Yeah. I think what's surprising about it is how intimate you get to see a gay couple in their home alone and intimate situations that's not sex that's just the day-to-day of uh a couple yeah so you get to watch this terribly intimate in like relationship the 30s. in the 30s and the danger of being gay it was it was illegal to be gay and that's another element to the show that i thought was so powerful which is not just the outside legal stuff which is a big a big part of it but also the internal struggle that both of these characters are going through you've got this young guy who's left his wife who doesn't want to be constrained by being not who he is anymore and you've got this older man who um, is so busy covering up who he is and and doesn't want to let 
it go, you know? Yeah, and and, and I, is it really conflicted about whether, what happiness is for him because of what he's been, what, you know, what he what believes. What he has to do. Yeah. And you're seeing the old and the new. And explain who, who Sylvie is and your character. Yeah, Sylvie, I love Sylvie. I, love I, I think she's my favorite ca- character to date. And I think it's because she's probably the closest to me. She was a um, Catholic communist stripper. She's the oldest stripper, but she's also the big headliner. Mm-hmm. And if you go back to that time, it was um, the strippers were big stars. Yes. Big stars in burlesque. You know, the they, uh, guys came to see them. So I always felt like Sylvie was fighting for equality. You know, because she knew full well. She remembered getting the vote in 1920 and was still in, and knows in 1932, 33, that it's not, still not good enough. Uh, she becomes a communist and wants to change the world. And oddly enough, the, the women, some of the women making the most money and having the most control over their lives were these strippers who were developing their artwork and uh, independent. They were mm-hmm. very independent because otherwise you were going to be somebody's wife in a kitchen with very little opportunity. Um, so I, I loved her uh, inclusion in this story. Yeah. Because that we're also fighting for the life of burlesque in New York City. Right. That which is what the whole thing is um, uh, sort of centered around is this, uh, is the fight for burlesque. But within that, there is the fight for equality, for human rights, for gay equality, for women's rights. There's so, we, I could talk to you for hours and hours. <laughs> and um, more, everybody does. <laughs> Let me look at my notes really quickly and All see right, if there's anything look. else I really wanted to get to. Of course I wanted to get to The Good Wife. I wanted to talk about The Good Wife because I love that show so yes, much. And the greatest it is, show. It's so good. But and they, remember, they don't let me do much on that. I've been, I, I just did my fifth episode, but you know, yeah. you, you, believe me, I'm forgettable. I'm just her real... real Actually, I will say, before I met you, before I ha- even conceived of this podcast with Vanya, I was sitting watching the, an episode with Steve and he goes, oh my God, that's Katie Huffman. <laughs> so, I mean, you know. Yes, well, you'd have to be someone who knows what Katie Huffman looks like <laughs> in order to say that, which is not a lot of people. It is a great thing on that show that you, it's always like, oh, that's Norbert Leo Butts. Oh, yes. that's Aaron Tveit. Oh, that's Karen Oliva. Like, it's always, like, the Broadway people are always there. Yeah, it's sort of the new law and order. Yeah, you know, yeah. Thank well, God. actually, answer a question for me. I always wonder, like, when somebody like you or, like, Norbert Leo Butts does an episode, like, I always, in my brain, because I love theater so much, think, like, Juliana Margulies at the end of your day is, like, ladies and gentlemen, Katie Huffman. And there's, like, a round of applause <laughs> as you're walking off the set. Well, does that oddly happen? enough, it does happen on, on TV, but usually when you've done your last um, shot, they do applaud you, which is great. Yeah. But it's not because... They anything, know and It's just, like, work. they're just happy that, that your co-star is, has done a great job and, yeah. you know, <clears throat> sort of a... A polite thing. Yes. One more thing. The most important thing, maybe. <coughs> we need to talk about your show at 54 Below, mm. which is happening tomorrow night. Yes, it is. Katie Huffman, and she can cook too, which, excuse me, <coughs> really was a, a title I had to come up with because I had to put something on the website. <laughs> but it is about my um, food world and how how uh, how I became a foodie and a little bit about Iron Chef in there and hopefully answering some questions that people have about Iron Chef. 
and singing mostly songs uh, that have some sort of food content in them. It's wacky. It's crazy. It should be moving. I hope it's moving as well, but it's um, it's really fun. It is really fun. I can't wait. Steve and I just got our tickets. I think there Yay. might still be tickets available, so people... Comments. I know it's selling really well though. Yes. It's selling really well. So I'm not I'm not sure right now. Katie, thank you, thank you, thank you for <laughs> oh, being with us. Thank you so much. Uh, Best of luck with this. It thank just you. sounds fantastic. We're so thrilled. Because I so... love me some theater people. Oh, thank you, girl. We survived our first episode of Theater People. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> Vanya, how'd it go? It was amazing. Oh my goodness. All right, the credits. Theater People is the creation and production of Patrick Hines and Vanya Arslanian. We have so many people to thank without whom the podcast would never have been possible. First and foremost, BroadwaySpotted.com for being our host on the web, Davenport Theatricals, Bradley Bean for helping us to book some truly mind-blowing guests coming your way in the next couple of weeks, and for creating our original music, the staff at Oswald's for allowing us to record there, Ellen Marsh for her support and also for helping us to book some of her fabulous, famous Broadway friends. My handsome husband, Steve Tipton, who's building our website. And most importantly, you for finding us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you'll automatically get our show each time a new one airs. And like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Theater People. That's theater with an E-R-P-P-L. Tell your friends about us, fellow theater people, and keep coming back. Let's get the theater community talking. What do I sing in the show that I can sing right here? Well, I sing, uh, When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. Oh, that's too low. (laughs) (laughs) And the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's amore. (laughs) Bells will ring, ting-a-ling-a-ling, ting-a-ling-a-ling, and you'll sing Vita Bella. Hearts will play dippy dippy tay dippy dippy tay like a gay tarantella. When the stars make you drool just like pasta fazool, that's amore. <clears throat> when you dance down the street with a cloud at your feet, you're in love. <laughs> when you walk in a dream, but you know you're not dreaming, signore. Scusa me, buddy, you see, back in old Napoli, that's amore. Woohoo! <laughs>